The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is June 11th, and I don't know if you could tell from my voice, but I am finally <laughs> living my fulfilling life. life. <laughs> Long Longtime listeners will know that that is a joke because someone once left us a review being like, you know, it's so nice talk hearing Olivia talk about her fulfilling life with her <laughs> husband and children, but it's honestly kind of depressing hearing Stephanie only have her cats to talk about. <laughs> so it's always a joke of being like, all right, when I get married, I'll be able to have a fulfilling life. It's amazing I'm how you can just flick a married. switch and be fulfilled one second after you say I do. You know, <laughs> I, I feel it. I'm fulfilled now. No, I'm just kidding. Honestly, I feel exactly the same. <laughs> like, it's not that different. But... <laughs> I did have to clarify because I posted that as a joke on the Instagram and like a couple of people were like, so you have to be married to live a fulfilling life. And I'm like, no, that's that's the joke. Like, <laughs> we had a review of someone being rude to me saying like, Stephanie is so lame with her cats. Mm. But we it's know an old, you yeah, can- an old inside joke. <laughs> yeah. You can have a fulfilling life doing anything as long as you feel fulfilled with your cats, with your kids, with your husband, with no one. By yourself. With yeah, yourself. Exactly. Whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. But we're back. We're not going to talk about anything too in depth because I think we're actually going to do like a little separate bonus episode that'll come out next week with like all the details of the wedding and the trip and Olivia's travel and all that for the people who care because we did get a lot of messages of people being like, I, we need to know everything. I guess there are some people too who might not actually know that we have never ever met before this past week like we've always done the podcast I've done it from Australia you've done it from New York and we've never met in person until this past week so very exciting times yeah like we've talked online forever since like what 26 <laughs> 17 yeah uh, 17 I think wasn't it oh uh, it even... was Delphi yeah yeah a long time a long time we've, yeah. we've talked online <laughs> for a while this is our first time meeting in person so we will talk about all that in like a little bonus episode that we'll put out next week. But otherwise, Olivia came here. She is back. What were your, your general thoughts of the trip or New York or whatever? I was very busy. Um, <laughs> you did a, a lot great, of movement. I know, I know. And even I was like adding up all the hours of travel. Like I feel like it's like 40 hours of travel or something in one week. But it was or a little bit more than a week, but it was really, really good. Your wedding was unbelievable. We've all spoken about how great the food was. <laughs> Thank you. And we also cold. met up with two other True Crime Society girls, Kelly and Marissa, so that was fun. I had a great time. It was like a little bit of a whirlwind. <clears throat> Feels like now did it really happen. I was just saying I'm back in Australia where it's freezing cold. Um, today is a holiday here. It's Monday, thankfully, so I get an extra day to kind of re-acclimatize and get back into it so but yeah it feels like a weird kind of fever dream did that ever really happen um but it was I feel the same so way because Lily said to me with your wedding like it goes by so fast and like such a blur anything or anything yeah and I made it a point to be like I'm eating all the food like I'm being <laughs> present and I really was like I ate so much of my food I was never like too drunk or anything during the reception like I definitely danced a lot hung out with everyone a lot but I still like look back on it and it feels like a fever dream. I'm like, did that yeah. really happen? Because I don't know. It just feels 
like it was such a rush. And I feel like too, I don't know if you feel the same, but like your wedding day, because most people get married in like the afternoon or the evening. So the morning just seems to be like, gosh, this is going to be a long day. And then all of a sudden it's just all happening. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Totally. Like when we were getting ready, we woke up, we started getting ready at nine. So me and my sister, my sister and I slept at the hotel together. We got up at like eight, got our shit together. And at nine, you start getting ready. You're like, man, I have so much fucking time before like the <laughs> photographer was coming at three. It's like, we don't have to be ready till three. I was like, man, this is going to be a drag of a day. Once you get to that, like one o'clock, o'clock yeah. two o'clock, like it's kind of closer. Everything went by so freaking fast. It was yeah. insane. And then it's then the reception felt like slow and fast at the same time. Where I was like, oh man, we still have like an hour left. But then when it all was said and done, I was like, that went by so fast. Yeah, so fast. Flew by. So yeah, we'll get into like the details of the trip and Olivia's travel and all that. (laughs) We'll do a bonus episode. So we'll put out basically like two episodes next week. One just about the trip and everything and then our our normal episode. episode. Yeah. So for people who don't care, you don't have to listen. (laughs) And you don't have to whinge to us. But why are we listening to this? We don't want to hear it. Oh, my God. We got – we could talk about this briefly, though. We got, like, two of the weirdest reviews (laughs) saying, like, that we simp for violent offenders and we might actually encourage more violence. (laughs) What? I I feel – like we were like, is that actually meant for us? I was like, that that has to be the wrong podcast. (laughs) I feel like we've never, ever done that. I'm 100% sure I've called every murderer, whoever, whatever the bad guy is, I'm pretty sure I've called every single one of them a fucking loser. They also said we were non-inclusive, but then actually didn't go into detail about, I don't know, boring talk and the community is very toxic and abusive. <laughs> I don't even know, like, I don't know, maybe so that the was... community is, is you guys, so I don't know what y'all are doing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so weird, like, non-inclusive is in the headline, but then it just talks about how much we love criminals Very yeah strange. i don't know i was honestly like that has to be the wrong wrong podcast or just someone that doesn't like us because obviously <laughs> we don't read every single comment ever but i've never seen anything overly problematic non-inclusive or simping for violent offenders like who yeah, the fuck I, could uh, we even be simping for brian koberger absolutely not well, I don't know. The only thing I can think of is maybe if it was like an episode where we were discussed, maybe mothers who murder or something and how we think there needs to be kind of more help for these women or, you know, like a, someone with a mental illness. That's the only thing where I could ever think that maybe. That's but true. I, but I mean, even then, if you it's took not. what I said during like the stalker episode where I was like, I also blame the parents like with Sandy Hook and Adam Lanza where I was like, the parents need to like help these fucking kids who are just being obscure horrible people like the parents need to step but i still wouldn't even call that simping for the violent offenders i'd be like (laughs) there's blame on multiple people here i don't know i if anyone ever thought i was simping for violence i'm absolutely not just to be clear i feel like we've never like we've had a lot of reviews that are along the same lines like you guys are annoying and all that stuff that's fine but but then we've never ever had a review where someone has said that so i don't know yeah we're we're like inciting violence basically (laughs) the only person who's ever said that to me is uh the facebook automatic bots where i post (laughs) a meme about a serial killer and they try to say i'm inciting violence oh my goodness Anyway, but yeah, <laughs> that was to an be interesting clear, one. To be clear, we are not <laughs> simping for violent offenders. Every single one of them is a fucking loser to me. Yeah. And I hope every violent offender suffers a fucking miserable life and death. So <laughs> just to be someone, clear. Someone will now be offended about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. They'll be like, wow, they are just like in favor of the death penalty and blah, blah, blah. 
Oh, Listen, anyway. I'm just I'm just trying to live. <laughs> I don't think I have any extreme opinions. No. We're just here to chat about true crime. <sighs> yeah. And I hope you you're all for the most part okay with that. <laughs> but anyway, we have had some nice ones as well, which we've posted on the Instagram. Majority yes, are still nice and kind. And we've had so many nice messages over the past ten days or whatever from people who are asking yeah, how even- the trips going and yeah, with the wedding and the trip, I've we've gotten so many nice messages. There's still more, I haven't even gone through like my requests or anything <laughs> on Instagram, which I will do eventually. But I've seen so many nice messages, and I appreciate you all so much. Which is why we were like, listen, we want to give the trip and the wedding and everything its own separate time. So um, I'll probably just put them both out next Thursday at the same time. So then you have the regular episode and the little bonus episode. We love you guys and your support. So we'll put that all out then. And we are back now. We had one week off. So if you're wondering, like I, ha- I had a few people messaging saying, where's the episode? And I'm like, wow, I'm glad someone noticed <laughs> that there wasn't one. <laughs> I so, did put it in the story yeah. like early on. And then we, I realized when I added the episode, we were like, okay, we got to say like in the intro for the episode that came out before we went on break that we're going to go on a break. And then we forgot. And then we said it later on. And then when I was editing the episode, I was like, I have no idea where that one sentence is. So I don't think it made it in the episode. <laughs> but anyway, so what, what, what I was going to say, off. yeah, we took a week off. We're back now, as usual. We don't have any other plans. Probably around Christmas we'll take another week or so off. But yeah, back to regularly scheduled programming for now. Yes. So we are going to get into this episode. Um, is about the mass murders that happened in Henrietta, which is an absolutely insane story with the sex offender, he basically murder-suicided his family, his kids, plus, well, her kids, his kind of stepkids, and then two friends that were sleeping over, and the police seemed to be kind of brushing it off because everyone involved is dead at this point, but yeah, it's, it's I, I don't even have words. Still, we recorded the story for this episode before the wedding, but still just looking back on it, I'm like, I cannot believe this is real. Like, the family's went to the house they found all this crazy crazy stuff after the police released the scene and still really nothing's happened since we recorded the episode which is sad and when you say crazy stuff it's not just like blood and evidence it's no oh my god like there's there's kids involved and kids and yeah like it's it's depraved there's no other word really it's it was such a depraved scene the police just didn't perfect word yeah um i guess a trigger warning because it is about child sexual assault and child some of the murder. stuff that comes yeah. out and child murder obviously some of the stuff that comes out is pretty depraved like olivia was just saying so just be aware of that um but we'll get into all of that now the evidence is that jesse mcfadden murdered six people and then killed himself beyond that i don't know what his thought process was New disturbing details in a case that's horrified the state of Oklahoma and beyond. Okmulgee Police Chief Joe Prentice painting a clearer picture about the seven bodies found on a rural property in Henrietta on Monday. Evidence has led them to believe convicted rapist and registered sex offender Jesse McFadden shot his three stepkids in the head at his home, as well as two teenage girls that were spending the night with his stepdaughter. The chief also saying McFadden shot his wife Holly and himself. Holly McFadden suffered three gunshot wounds to the head 
and Jesse McFadden appears to have shot himself in the head. After 14-year-old Ivy Webster and 16-year-old Brittany Brewer went missing on Sunday, law enforcement obtained a search warrant for McFadden's home the following day. Southeast of the actual residence, they found the girls' bodies at a creek near the body of 17-year-old Riley Allen. And several hundred feet southeast of that, in a heavily wooded area, the bodies of McFadden, his wife, 15-year-old Michael Mayo, and 13-year-old Tiffany Guess. Without going into a lot of detail, that scene appeared to be staged to me. I think the bodies had been moved from where they were originally killed. Chief Prentice saying they still don't know the motive for the killings or the events that led up to them, emphasizing to the community that they'll never get all the answers to this indescribable tragedy. Normal people can't understand why. People that, that perpetrate crimes like this are evil. And normal folks like us can't understand why they do that. So we'll start with um, the beginning of the story, some background info, all that like we usually do. This is a pretty recent one. On Monday, May 1st was when it all kind of started or publicly came to be anyways. On May 1st, there was a missing and endangered alert that was issued for two teenagers in Oklahoma. And the info that was given at that time was 14-year-old Ivy Webster and 16-year-old Brittany Brewer were last seen Monday at an address in Henrietta. Webster was wearing a black a black Vans hoodie, blue jeans with holes in the knees, and blue and black shoes. Why am I having a stroke? <laughs> Brewer was last seen wearing a black bathing suit, blue shorts with flowers, and white tennis shoes. Both are believed to be with 39-year-old Jesse McFadden. They could be traveling in a 2007 white Chevy Avalanche with Oklahoma tags, tag numbers LRW469. McFadden was scheduled to go to trial today for soliciting sexual conduct with a minor in possession of juvenile pornography. If you see them, call 911 immediately. So clearly that's already enough to be a major red flag that he, this guy is with two teens that he is not related to, and he is already in trouble for child porn and things like that. So police obtained a search warrant to search Jesse McFadden's property in Henrietta later that day. When they entered, they found seven bodies. That's the summary. We'll start with like some background on the area and all that. Um, Henrietta is a town in Okmulgee County, Oklahoma. As of 2010, the population was around 5,900. According to Wikipedia, the, medium, the median income for a household in the city was 20,000 20,115 and the median income for a family it was 24,700. Males had a median income of 28,000 versus 14,000 for females. The per capita income for the city was 11,900 and about 19.9% of families and 22.8% of the population are below the poverty line. So that's including 29.8% of those under the age of 18 and 17.8% of those over the age of 65. So um, it's an area that seems to have a good amount of people in poverty. Like, Yeah. Um, I think it's quite a rural area. Um, it's just like, it's you know, it's just to give you an idea of the kind of things that they're dealing with in that area too. Yeah. It's not like a, a suburb city type area. town it's that has a... You know, a lot of farmland, I feel like. Yeah. So in terms of the people involved, first is Jesse McFadden. He was 39 years old, um, and he was he was a bad guy. In 2002, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison for first-degree rape. Um, I believe he was 19 
Yeah. He was 19 at the time, and the girl was 16, and he raped her at knife point. Um, But he got out in 2020, which was three years early. So how, how did he get out early? Well, the Oklahoma Department of Corrections put out a statement explaining that inmates receive credits for things like behavior, attitude, education, and hygiene. And once Jesse reached 85% of his time, his credits were applied and he was released, which I think is in, like, is this something other places do? I feel like, yes. Like, I feel like Probably. there are... I, like I don't know what the percentage well, there's, like, is or good how behavior, other behavior. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I feel like, th- like I feel like they've just gone into a little bit more detail here, like hygiene and education. I've never really heard that spoken about before, but I'm assuming that everywhere, that is what constitutes good behavior. You know, if you adhere to the rules, if you look after yourself, look after your cell. You know what I mean? Like cause no issues. Essentially, that is what good behavior is. So it sounds wild, but I feel like it's probably pretty standard practice. It shouldn't have been in this case because he wasn't actually exhibiting behavior but you know maybe that is generally how they determine it yeah just crazy to be like oh you murdered someone or you raped a minor and to be like but you have like a good attitude and you read a few books and you took some showers so (laughs) three years early (laughs) (sighs) and you know it it sucks because i'm sure there are people who go to prison and try to better themselves but this situation was not that fucking case um like this could not have been a worse situation it seems like he behaved well in prison, according to that. And like we just mentioned, he actually was not. He was horrible in prison because in 2019, he was using a contraband cell phone and he was trading nude pictures with a 16-year-old girl from jail where he was already in jail for raping a minor. Like even when you kind of think about that, I wonder how he found this girl. Does that mean he was also on social media? Like, you know, Probably. maybe he did know her before. But then he'd been in jail for nearly 20 years by this point. So I'm assuming... She wasn't even born when he went to jail. So there must yeah. have been, like, it's just, they, like, when you think about it, there's a whole bunch of other things he was likely doing, not just trading pics with this girl. He was obviously on social media or communicating somehow well, he was, with people. He also had child porn on Well, the I think the child porn is the nude pics maybe from the 16-year-old uh, girl. Maybe. I don't know. A quick, that's just what I took it to mean. So it could also be additional child porn. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, either way. But he was only punished for that with a 30-day segregation and restricted visitation for having the phone. He was disciplined with his canteen telephone and visitation being restricted for 90 days. So this guy's literally like, I'm going to reoffend for sure. And they're just like, eh, no visitors for you. <laughs> no canteen for you. <laughs> but you're still going to get out three years early. And even they took his phone, the, his telephone privileges for 90 days. Like I'm assuming after that he got them back and he was still able to communicate with people. So He probably didn't even care. He probably had another contraband cell phone somewhere since they clearly yeah. don't care. So he was charged with those new crimes in 2017, but he was still released for good behavior in 2020. Lee Berlin is a Tulsa-based defense attorney. He told the Associated Press that he was shocked by the errors that resulted in Jesse being released. He said... I'm a sex crimes defense attorney. This is all I do every day. And I'm like, how the hell does this happen? Jesse got out of prison in November. I mean, got out of prison in October 2020, but he was rearrested in November 2020, but was released on a $25,000 bond pending trial. And his trial was repeatedly delayed. That was kind of peak COVID time as well, if you remember. Oh, so yeah. That's the reasons why I've read that Everything. his trial was so delayed. But essentially, it... It still hadn't happened in 2023 when things had definitely settled down. So, 
It's like, why didn't they just start when he was already in jail? Yeah. Around the beginning of 2021, he moved in with a woman named Holly Guess. She had three children before she met Jesse. Um, their names are Riley, Elizabeth Allen, Michael James Mayo, and Tiffany Dorr Guess. All these kids would have been teenagers around the time that Holly and Jesse got together. Um, the two of them got married in secret in May on May 26, 2022. They got married at a courthouse in Okamulgee, Oklahoma. They didn't tell family until Christmas Eve 2022. They held a wedding party on Christmas Eve and they had some cake. I feel like just the fact that they did it in secret and didn't tell anyone shows that she knows something was up. Yeah. And like, yeah, why? I wonder why they picked that time to tell the family. Like, I don't know. There's it's like, it's Christmas Eve. You guys can't be mad. So the teens who are missing, there's Brittany Brewer, who is 15, and Ivy Webster, who is 14. They were friends with Holly's daughter, Tiffany, who was 13. So just because I threw out a lot of names, missing girls are Brittany and Ivy. The married to the sex offender is Holly, and her daughter is Tiffany. And all the girls are friends. So the girls had a sleepover. They went over to their house for the weekend. You know, normal thing. Girls that age do. It was a regular occurrence, according to their families, but the families have since said they had no idea about Jesse's past. Um, they didn't. Obviously, they're like, we wouldn't have let them go over there if we knew this. Ivy's mother, Ashley Webster, spoke to the news about the last communication she had got from Ivy's phone. And kind of tell us, you know, this weekend, you know, I know you were contacted. Just kind of talk about how the events unfolded and how you learned about everything. Well, she was supposed to be home. Now Start that every okay, so Saturday she was going out. They were going to go to the mall and then main event, which they did, um, and spend the night. And as far as we knew, it was as uh, they've done before. Yeah, Ivy they... and Brittany were going to Tiffany's, um, so nothing out of the ordinary. Me and Ivy were Snapchatting up until about midnight Saturday night, um, and then Sunday I got a message from her, which was a little different, but I didn't think nothing of it. It was, hey, we're going to run to McAllister. We have to go. Um, Jesse's got to work on like the ranch or fence, whatever, which they've gone before. So again, didn't think nothing of it. But usually I get, hey, mom, is that okay? Or I love you. Um, didn't get that, but I didn't think much. I said, okay, try. She said, we'll be home by five. I said, okay, if you can a little earlier because, you know, school tomorrow type thing. Okay, I'll let you know type thing. No, I love you. No, none of that. Um, then I get a call from Jesse a little while, about five or so, saying, oh, yeah, we're still out here in McAllister. The phone is really cutting out. Um, not getting good service. I said, okay, keep me updated. And that was the last and contact. That, that probably. I believe the girls were already gone at that point. And this is new information that you guys are, are sharing with us. Yes. Uh, they never made it to McAllister. He, so. he planned it all. So Jesse was on the sex offender registry, but both the parents of Ivy and Brittany weren't aware of that, which is understandable. I mean, you don't Google, you don't look up every person you meet to see if they're on the sex offender registry. Like I do, like, uh, you know, I don't want people to come after me and say, of course you should do that as a parent. You should, absolutely. But like but I realistically, kind of see why they didn't because Holly had three kids herself. You would think maybe, you know, if like, I just feel like it was a, you know, there was a failure here, but it's a little bit understandable why they just assumed it would be safe they would be around other children you know I guess it's a good lesson for everyone to never ever assume that that is the case now 
And I've seen people say on Reddit, like I don't know if they knew people or if they heard it in an interview. I don't know exactly where the information comes from, but they said that the family had said somewhere that Holly, the mom, was like super nice and it almost gave vibes of like grooming the families in a way. Like she was yeah. so nice. Like she was always kind of the spokesperson. She'd like bake them cookies and stuff and she'd go out of her way to be very, very nice and friendly. And it seems like she was more so the one that dealt with the parents and talked to the parents. So they probably didn't even think much about the dad. And the other thing too was, I don't know, like when they said they'd slept there numerous times, you would think that your child who's, you know, a teenager would tell you likely, you know, I obviously I'm doing a lot of assuming here, but you know, if they were happy enough to go there and they felt safe to go there, you'd take that as well as part of the reasoning for letting them, letting them go. Yeah. Like you'd, you would assume that if something there made them uncomfortable, they wouldn't wouldn't want want to go go back. Yeah. On May 1st, 2023, Jesse was due to appear in court for the charges relating to the child pornography, like we mentioned, but he didn't show up. So he had apparently been texting with the teenager that he was exchanging the photos with from the the contraband cell phone in jail the night before. Um, This info comes from Fox 4 News. They said, Jesse said his great life was crumbling and blamed the teenager for the latest set of charges against him that could put him back in prison for decades. A solicitation conviction can mean a 10-year sentence. The pornography charge could mean 20 years behind bars. He texted and said, now it's all gone. I told you I wouldn't go back. This is all on you for continuing this. What a piece of shit. No. Seven bodies found on the property of a convicted rapist. The discovery ended the search for two teen girls, Ivy Webster and Brittany Brewer, who were staying the night at Jesse McFadden's house, where he lived with his wife and three kids. McFadden was convicted of rape in 2003, a past that Ivy's parents were shocked to hear about. They spoke to us while the search for their daughter was still active. He's a pedophile and people need to know. They need to find them, lock him up. Yeah, because he shouldn't have been out to be able to do all this. He should not have been out. And it's our justice system that needs to be harder. Court records show McFadden was accused of sexting an underage girl while behind bars for rape in 2017. He was charged for soliciting child porn. And because of the incident, he was set to stand trial the same day that the bodies were found. I've been in contact with the victim in that child porn case. She sent me these messages that she says McFadden sent to her Sunday night. You see, he sends a selfie, then a message saying, quote, I did exactly what I promised to do. He goes on to talk about the job that he got and says, quote, made a great life like I promised I would do with you. Now it's all gone. He then says, quote, I told you I wouldn't go back. And his last message reads, quote, this is all on you for continuing this. So there's been a lot of questions as to how much Holly, the wife, knew about Jesse's past. Holly's mother, Jeanette, said that the family only learned of his criminal history earlier in 2023. She said, he lied to my daughter. He convinced her it was all just a huge mistake. My daughter loved her children, and yes, she married the man who killed them, but she was fooled by his charm. I hurt just like the other families, but he took my world from me. Jeanette also told News Nation that this this part's like, insane, told News Nation that Jesse hired an actress to impersonate the victim of his first crime to tell Holly that it was all just a big misunderstanding. So basically, someone pretended to be the the 16-year-old girl that he raped at knife point 
and be like, oh, no, like it was just like a misunderstanding. Probably was like we were dating and, you know, probably gave that story because he was 19. So it's not like he was super, super old, but probably left out the whole knife point part. Insane. And what what person would go along with this? And did Holly know anything about his criminal background, his um, time served and the charges of criminal rape that he had served that time for? Yes. The only thing was he had lied to her and told her that the girl was 19 years old, not 16, and that everything was just a misunderstanding. He paid a young lady to portray the victim to sit down and have a talk with my daughter. And she told him, oh, it was just a misunderstanding. You don't get 20 years for a misunderstanding. He paid a person to impersonate the victim of his crime to tell your daughter a lie, that it was her and that it was, wasn't a crime? Yeah, it's exactly what he did. And he never indicated at any time that he was a registered sex offender at that property where your family was killed. No, my husband and I didn't find out until middle to late March when my husband was looking up a co-worker that he worked with to find out what his charges were. And Jesse McFadden's criminal history popped up that he was a registered sex offender. My husband then contacted our daughter to find out what was going on. Why were they there? Why was he in that house with our grandchildren? And what answers were you given when you confronted him with the fact that he was a registered sex offender? Our daughter wouldn't let us confront him. She said, oh, it was just a misunderstanding. I've talked to the girl. At that time, we didn't know anything about the real victim. It just, this one just throws out the wildest things. So after the murders happened, apparently this actress did reach out to Holly's family and apologized for misleading them. I'm sure she feels shitty now. Yeah. So Ivy and Brittany's family reported them missing on Monday, May 1st, after they didn't respond to any calls or texts. The first call was logged at 10 a.m., and police went to the McFadden home on an attempt to locate call. They stayed for like 19 minutes before leaving. I guess they didn't really do much. Um, I guess they knocked on the door, couldn't get in there, you know. Yeah, just low effort, it seems. Mm. Especially from everything we will find out about these police officers as we go along. I have read some comments that say the door was actually ajar. I don't know if that's true or not, but if it was, it's interesting. Like, I don't know, I guess, I don't know, it comes down to can you just enter a house? Like, I guess you can't if you've got no reason to, but I don't know. Yeah, like the whole, like, do they need a warrant? or? I guess they did come back later once they had the paperwork, but yeah. yeah. Interesting. So I remember with Chris Watts, some of the body cam video, the door, it was shut, and they're like, can't you, like, go in anyways? Like, it's, like get through a window or something they said they can't force themselves inside or anything unless they think someone's in like imminent danger so maybe it's the same even if the doors are open i don't know Mm. a relative of holly's then made a second call and this was a more missing person situation the caller said that they hadn't spoken to holly or been able to make contact with holly or the kids since april 28th which is two or three days before this at this point 
I don't know if there's 31 days in May or not off the top of my head. September. There's 30 in <laughs> April. So 28th, yeah. So it might like it depends if they were heard from. I guess they were heard from on the 28th. So that means the 29th, 30th, and the 1st. So essentially two to three days. Yeah. The final police radio log is from 2.22 p.m. when they got a search warrant to enter the property. So maybe that's why they couldn't go in. They needed the warrant. Yeah. Um, that's when they found the seven bodies. So Jesse had used a nine millimeter handgun to murder his family and the two teenage girls. Ivy, Brittany, and Riley were found separately about 150 yards apart from each other, about a quarter mile southeast from the McFadden residence. Each of the girls had been shot once in the head. The other four were found together about 500 yards from the home the McFaddens were renting. Tiffany and Michael had been shot. It's weird that like, yeah, Tiffany- Holly's other children. So Riley, Tiffany, and Michael are the other children. Yeah, other- no, I just assumed Tiffany would have been with the other two girls. Yeah, I don't know. It's friends. interesting. I also wondered why they were separated, but I guess we will probably never know. So Tiffany and Michael, the other two children, were shot twice in the head. Holly, the wife, had been shot three times in the head. And Jesse, and obviously Jesse had a single gunshot wound to the head. And the gun that he had used had been purchased by Holly in 2022 because as a sex offender and a felon, he cannot purchase Couldn't a weapon. Buy a gun. <clears throat> um, so police stayed at the property that day for five and a half hours. The murders happened on Monday and by Thursday... Ivy's family became angry that they hadn't been given any updates by police. They went to the McFadden home to see what they could find out. This is another insane thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Ivy's dad, Justin, said, we can't have parents go through what we have. I'm angry. This should never happen. So Justin spoke with the property owner and got permission to go into the house. Um, And he invited News 4 to go along with them. And at this point, they did get permission from the police as well. Like it was re- the crime scene was released. Like after the like, five and a half hours on the first day, it seems that's basically all there was. Yeah, they're like, we got everything we need. Get on in there. I feel like because they essentially knew who did it, and they just thought, well, case closed. Now they're all dead. So what else do we need to do? Is essentially their first re- reckoning, I believe. Yeah, but they still. They initially went in because they wanted to get like some of the girls' belongings and stuff because they didn't have any of that back. But anyway, what they found in the house was is an insane fucking nightmare. I like house of I watched I watched the video and it's one of those videos where you're like, I know it smells in there. Mm. And then that's the other thing, which we'll get into what was found, but like all this stuff seems like it was out there in the open. So I can't believe that the teenage girls were happy to go there. Well, it also could have been – well, we'll talk about that after. I don't want to get ahead. Yeah, so we'll post the video on the blog. I'll put clips in of it through here. Some parts are a little hard to hear, so I'll just try to use the more audible parts as they go through the house and find things. But it it was honestly shocking, and I can't believe that police were just like, nah, not it's our fine. problem at this point. Um, So I'll just read what they have here of going through the house, and then we'll talk about it after. Okay, so it says – this is from News 4. It said, in the living room, there was a twin-sized bed laying on the floor. It had a pink patterned blanket laying across it. In the corner of the room, there were desktop monitors and a computer tower still hooked up to it. Two additional computer towers and four desktop monitors were found throughout the house. Like, there's just com- This is a small house. There's computers all over and shit all over. Next to the living room was a bedroom where the bed frame had restraints bolted into it. 
the restraints still had chains attached to them. And it was like two sets. So it's like two people could be chained to this bed. There was a shelf lined with witchcraft related books. And there was also a bunch of like sex and bondage devices throughout the room and around the house. About 10 feet away in the kitchen, there was another restraint bolted into the counter. And these were new locks in like a new chain. They found the receipt for it. He bought it just a few days before. So because at first I was like, how the fuck do they have literally a chain in the middle? It's in the middle of their kitchen counter. Yeah. I was like, how are they living there? And this is there. And the wife's just like, and the kids and everyone's just like, oh, okay. I'm like, maybe he bought it specifically for his end of life bender and literally drilled it into the counter within those couple days. (sighs) Who knows? It's wild. Um, The kitchen is filled with trash. There's like a, a glue trap covered in roaches and bugs. There was a human dog collar there's handcuffs there's drug paraphernalia there's a syringe still with like a dark liquid in it um there's weapons sitting around in rooms like it's everything you could imagine being in a house of a criminal pedophile drug addict or whatever there was also a check signed by uh holly for a local storage unit at ulac storage and it even had like the number written on it which you think maybe police would want to go check that out um, there's medication labeled. That was Jesse's that was also sitting out. There's lube sitting out all over. There's lines of probably cocaine or another white substance around. So then the family's like looking around the house, looking around, seeing what they could find, trying not to disturb anything because clearly it seems like there's still evidence in this house. And they actually found tucked away in like an upper kitchen cabinet, the girl's cell phones. Give me something to grab. Take, take a picture. Take pictures. I, it's, it's on video. That's them. Give them, hey, that's them. Okay. Hey, use this sack. Don't be locked there. No, those no, locks? no, that's evidence too. So is those you drugs. Just those. That's, that's it. Hers? Yep. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Call the sheriff. Don't touch them. Don't yep, move them. Let's let's back out. Let's. That's good. Okay. I'm, I'm Call calling. I'm calling. Are you, done, are you done looking? No. No. I'm not done looking, but that's okay. evidence. Okay. That's he used our daughter's cell phone. And whatever's behind that. Yep. Okay. Okay. And they're not concerned about looking anywhere else. This house needs to be stripped. Oh my god. Okay. So this is we're getting pictures of all this, honey. Mm-hmm. This man is a freaking monster. His wife was too. This one's my daughter's. I want to know what else is up here and in here. I think there's more. There's computers. All these tablets. This is so video. Yeah, I'm just getting all the stuff up there. Well, I mean, I didn't say too much of it. Yeah, yeah, but there's a big old machine. Too. But that's a weapon. Yeah. So and it's in here with all this sexual paraphernalia. And then those were right there. They obviously didn't look too hard. No. Look, is that another phone or that? What is that? Look, hey, that one's still on. That computer, whatever that tablet thing. You mm-hmm. know, it's on. Syringe. Normally that. A syringe. And needles. And needles. Yeah. Oh my. That's cocaine. It's gotta be.
So they also found two laptops in the same cabinet as those cell phones. An investigator did show up to the house around 20 minutes after they called with a camera and some evidence folders. Justin said, who's Ivy's dad, my daughter was locked up right here. And so he took them in and kind of showed them where the phones were found. The investigator took some photos and then collected the phones as evidence. Justin spoke about why, you know, he was kind of amazed and didn't understand why it took so long to find this. He said, that's what I just don't get. I know you guys are hurting too. I know you have a hell of a job. You saw my daughter dead, shot in the head, and I know what you're seeing and I know what you went through, but a lot of this stuff needs to be taken. You guys have to come back here, do a whole suite because you miss so much. There's medicine, there's drugs, brand new locks he put in and a brand new fucking can lock on the counter. Why are we not getting receipts and video out of him purchasing this shit? I'm sorry, I'm venting, but I want more done. So while kind of Justin was saying this, this is all on camera with News 4, while he was saying this, the investigator didn't really say anything, was silent. Um, But then the investigator did say, the problem is I don't know what else to do. Justin (laughs) said, there's a story to be told right here. And the investigator said, right. Justin said, we don't know what happened. And the investigator said, the only person who can tell us what happened, and then Justin kind of finished and said, is dead, but we can try and piece it together. The investigator then said, we are open to any suggestions you all can give. Justin like, said this is that, your job. <laughs> <laughs> Justin said that he wanted basically another sweep of the property and for a better investigation to take place. And this just blows my mind, this like response. I guess, you know, this I don't know who this investigator is, but I and I'm guessing they have never really dealt with the situation. Like not many people would deal with a murder of seven people at once. But anyway, the response when the when Justin asked for a better investigation, the investigator said, "That's something you're going to have to talk to somebody about my, above my pay grade about." <laughs> so I, I think that that quote just sums up what the investigation is essentially what they're dealing with at the moment. I would have lost my mind if I was these girls' families, and like, yeah. I know we just chuckled before. It's <laughs> we're not chuckling because it's funny. Like it is absolutely not funny, but it's insane. It's Ridiculous. like insane. Yeah. It's like, unbelievable. This is just, yeah, exactly. Like it's it's like a laugh when you're like, is this really happening? When you're like, what? Like yeah. what? Um, but this I just feel like with this whole investigation, we'll talk more about the end. I feel like they were underexperienced, also knew that they totally fucked up. Not specifically the police totally fucked up, but like the county in general, like letting this guy out, who's clearly a big red flag. And I feel like they're like, Well, he's dead. So if we just so don't what look else into do it more. Yeah, it'll go away, and everyone will forget about it. But it's like the families still want to fucking know what happened and get some answers because right now they basically just know that these girls were shot in the head. And and I feel like too, based on his criminal history, someone should be accountable. He shouldn't have been yeah. allowed to be in this house with these. You know, like there's there should be, like that's what I feel they're pushing for. There's a trail, and essentially everyone failed in letting this. Yeah, guy like I would want someone to stuff. have accountability. Yeah. yeah. I want to know who to sue for my daughter's fucking wrongful death for the assholes who didn't do anything to stop this guy from reoffending. And we'll get into like the sex offender stuff after, but it's just, it's annoying to say the least. So News 4 did say at the time they saw the investigator took two laptops, four cell phones and drug paraphernalia into evidence. But like, why wouldn't they have taken the computers in the first space? Like, and like it what? sounds like literally all they did was open this cupboard and the phones were there. Like yeah, <laughs> I would think that you know, like a ha- like a ha- the house doesn't look like it's got that much storage space. It wouldn't be that hard to just check in the cupboards and you know to see what was in there. 
But even the computers are just like out in the open. Even if they can't charge this guy with anything else, maybe he's like talking to other like people and they're exchanging child porn and things like that. Wouldn't you want to know that? So after these discoveries were made, the OSBI made a statement. They said the OSBI will continue to support and assist our law enforcement partners and grieve with the families of this horrible event. The investigation is still ongoing. So kind of a generic nothing statement. Mm. Justin went back to the house on Friday and found more evidence. He said he found a receipt for the padlocks that were attached to the restraint restraints and that showed Jesse had just bought them a few days before the murder-suicide. He also found padlock packaging. Additionally, he found a list of names plus the dates of births of all the victims. So this kind of leads you know, him to believe that maybe they were all targeted for whatever reason, which I wonder if Jesse had done something to the girls. It was kind of a threat. If you tell anyone I'm going to you know, do this, that maybe will come down to it when if we ever find out more. I think it was a list of like other people too, though. Uh, oh, they think okay, that- yeah. Like it was a list of lots of names and they th- they were like, who could these people be? Why does he have a list of all their personal details? Yeah. Justin also found a bloody wet wipe and he said that in Jesse's bedroom, he found five more phones and apparently more drug par- paraphernalia in the closet. So police did end up, thankfully, I guess, searching the storage unit that they found the check for and nothing was seized. Justin said, based off what we were told, it was just like there were pool supplies. There was nothing of real concern in there. I also read that they found like under the floorboard somewhere um like bloody toddler clothes Hmm. sure toddlers can like get a cut or something but why did someone hide them under the floorboard why did you not either wash them throw them away why yeah why and that sounds like a trophy almost yeah just like i don't know like obviously something is wrong with that and i think the family also said they found like binders with pictures she was like i don't want to really elaborate for the sake of the victims but made it sound like it was like more just like nude photos of underage girls it's hard to believe that there was anything more that could be found but how is it that you and your family were able to get back into that home and discover yet even more evidence on friday the landlord as we were planning the funeral notified us that we had three days to get on the property or everything was going to go in a dumpster this monday We stopped the funeral and myself, Holly's godmother and her godmother's daughter, just the three of us went to the house. Um, This is, and we found five phones. We found a notebook ledger with the names. We just found other things. And that's the other family members come, the police came. Yeah, it, we, we found a lot of horrifying things, but I- Can you explain? Lynn, a little bit more about the ledger. Whose handwriting was it and what was in the ledger? Just names and um, ages, like numbers. Um, I didn't know, recognize, but I knew it was something important. Um, it, we did turn over the police. Uh, the most probably disturbing evidence I found that day is I pulled the dresser out and behind it was a towel with duct tape all around it and I pulled it and it was restraints, Velcro restraints, unlike the other restraints, which was laying all through the house. This one was taped at the back of the dresser. I asked the, sh- the deputy that was on the scene if he wanted it. He said, this is not an active crime scene. It's solved. If you don't want it, put it in the dumpster. <laughs> and I begged. This is, what the, wait, to- this is what the deputy told to you, told to you over the weekend. You found additional restraints that very well could have had DNA of potentially other I victims begged- on it. 
Say I again? begged him, please take this. I said, please take this. It's not like the chains. They weren't laid out. They were taped behind a dresser. He said, this, this, the victims are dead. The perpetrator's dead. If you don't want them, ma'am, put them in the dumpster. I said, why would what I did you want end up them? doing with them? I, I put them in a garbage bag. On that day, we thought what we would do is get, hire a private investigator. Um, I hit him in the house and we left. I was, in fact, I had told by the police I had to leave or he was going to arrest me. When I asked for what, he said, we're not leaving. I was like, I have permission to be here. But we left and we returned the next day and nothing, nothing can prepare anyone for what we had to find. Can you tell me a little bit more, Lynn, about what you found under the floorboards? <laughs> um, the first set of clothes wasn't in the floorboards. They were wadded up in, in, in the closet. Um, the first pair I pulled out was <laughs> just some bloody shorts. But the second, and to, to me, it, it, the, the dry blood was obvious, but it was the sick pair of little underwear. And the fluid was, mm, um, yeah, we put those in garbage bags. We, it, when the OSBI got there, I gave my interview and I said, no, no one should have to see what I say. No one had to collect what I had to heck. I'm not a crime scene investigator. I'm not a police officer. I should not have had to see those things. I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. Um, OSC out was amazing, but that's just, there was, a, there was just a lot of stuff, stuff that in time, I, I really want to sit down and talk to someone about. I need to be sensitive to the victims. So essentially, probably more child porn, bloody clothes, phones, drugs, sex toys. Do you know what I mean? Like there's just, it's not like they just found one thing tucked away in a cupboard. This was no, all out like a, in the open. A den of, depravity. I don't even know a word. Yeah. Yeah. So later in May, search warrants were made public, but a lot of the information in the documents has been said to be false, which kind of gives you another, yeah, another insight into this investigation. One of the documents said, your affiant was made aware of a missing person case involving a 14-year-old female named Tiffany Guess, but Tiffany was Holly's daughter. She wasn't one of kind of the two other missing teenagers and she wasn't really ever reported missing as such because no, no one knew she was missing until she was found dead, essentially. Um, the documents, and I have also seen a lot of articles, state that an Amber Alert was issued for Tiffany and Ivy, but this isn't true. It was a missing and endangered alert and not an Amber Alert, and it was for Ivy and Brittany. So, again, not for Tiffany, but that's what the court documents say. It was for Tiffany. Court documents also say that Tiffany's father was interviewed on the property about additional items that he found, but it was actually Justin, who's Ivy's father. So, it just like, you know, just mistake after mistake after mistake. Documents also list a number of wrong addresses of the McFadden house. They say that Tiffany lived at 14, 14317 Holly Road. It says that Ivy was spending the night at 14360 Holly Road, but the mailbox is actually 14600. So there's just, you know, just discrepancies in the address. I'll put in um, a clip here that I watched today because it also goes over like the stuff they took from the house, which is literally 
nothing. Like it was five. It was like they swabbed a couple of things for DNA and took a couple of fingerprints. And it's so annoying. I'm like that. Like, what do you even need the DNA for at this point? Yeah. Let's look at this other stuff and figure out what's going on. I feel like that's just like shit. On. What do we do now? Yeah, we should just take swab this for DNA and you know. The <laughs> the families seemed like they had a better idea of what to fucking look for. Yeah. Anyways, I'll put that clip in here of uh, Ashley Banfield talking about it. It turns out after that horrible monster in Oklahoma murdered his own wife, her three kids, and two kids who were on a sleepover, that sex offender, Jesse McFadden, after he did all of that, police issued eight different search warrants on that home, okay? Uh, The first one, though, it's pretty amazing. We now know some of the things that the police took. And can I just tell you, you might have been able to hold it in one hand. I mean, it's nuts to think that they processed a scene with one search warrant and walked out of there with like almost nothing. It's, it's, it's frustrating, it makes you angry. But there's a couple of other things in the search warrants that might make you even more angry, like big glaring errors, the kind that you shouldn't do when five little kids get you know killed by a sex offender, like mixing up the, the names of the victim's parents. That's bad. Mixing up the names of the victims. That's bad. Saying a car was impounded when it, it wasn't. And then an Amber Alert went out. It, it didn't. Stuff like that. Not good in a case that's already like so publicly now botched, right? Justin Webster's Ivy Webster's dad. Ivy Webster was raped and murdered by this monster in this horrible murder-suicide. And Justin was one of the people whose names was mixed up in this warrant, and this is what he said. How many times does it take a sheriff's office to mess up over and over and over again to where we finally get an investigation into the sheriff's office? They failed once again, miserably, over and over and over again. News Nation senior national correspondent Brian Enton, he is live in Henrietta, Oklahoma tonight. So let's start with the search warrant material. Um, the KFOR reporter, our affiliate reporter, has seen some of the warrants. It's pretty upsetting what's in them. Yeah, let me go through them with you real quick, Ashley, because we went through and kind of made bullet points of everything that's in these warrants so that you can understand. There are eight search warrants total. Uh, started on uh, May 1st. First one, uh, photos, State Farm, drive safe tokens and receipts. Uh, and those State Farm drive safe tokens, they're basically these things that in your car that the insurance uh, companies can track you with for your rates. That is all uh, that was taken on May 1st. White Chevy Avalanche was impounded. Um, and law enforcement seized some things from it. That was on May 8th. This is everything they seized. Uh, Eight latent print cards from Avalanche Processing, five palm and three fingerprints, four pairs of swabs from exterior door handles, four interior door handles, steering wheel from Avalanche, Route 66 lanyard with two Brinks keys on the ring, uh, straw from driver's side, flat lid cup, straw from the passenger side, purchase receipts, uh, the McDonald's, the cafe cups, DVD uh, was processed, Um, And you mentioned it. What's so frustrating for the family is there were errors in the search warrant. Um, It incorrectly said that the Amber Alert was for Tiffany Guest and Ivy Webster. It was actually a missing and endangered alert that is very different from an Amber Alert. Um, An Amber Alert is much, much more serious. They also mixed up Tiffany's father's name with Ivy's father's name, uh, which obviously has the family livid. 
So there was an article by K4 on May 17, which gave a possible motive for the murders, which we've kind of already touched on. But Jesse allegedly spoke to his mother on April 30 and told her he was not going back to prison and that he had decided to kill himself. So I don't know why she didn't really do anything then, but that seems to be. I was thinking, he seems kind of like the type of guy where I bet that he's like said shit like that before and she was just like, okay. Yeah. So more information has since come out about the checks that Jesse underwent as a sex offender. House walkthroughs were never required, but he was apparently required to self-check in every 90 days. The first self-check-in was conducted on June 10. Um, I'm assuming that was 2022. The second one was September 9, then December 9, and then the last one before all this happened was March 8, 2023. During these check-ins, they got Jesse's correct mailing, physical address, and his phone number, his Department of Corrections ID number. He had to list who all the occupants at the house were, and he did list Holly and the children apparently, all vehicles that he may have been driving and his current employment. So the length of time that he listed for that he'd been living with Holly and the children was at least two years. This sounds good in theory where they have to check in every 90 days, but it's like he just goes to the police station and tells them these things. So there's He's like going to be like, well, I have this like house that's full of depravity. There is bloody clothes, drugs. Er- like, of course, he's just going to be like, so X, Y, Z, everything's perfect. All good. Can I go now? There's been a lot of kind of questions about why police didn't check the house. Um, you know, I don't think it is essentially a legal requirement. Whether or not it should be is another, you know, another discussion. But Sheriff Wright Rice spoke about why Jesse's home hadn't been searched. And he said that basically, even if they did have the right to search the house, they could only enter the rooms where the doors were open. So if they went to Jesse's house and he shut all the doors, they have no right to open them. So they could probably go into the hallway and maybe, you know, the kitchen or whatever rooms don't have a door. Um, which is weird. They're making it so easy for sex offenders to act like this. Yeah. So interestingly, a complaint-like call was made to the sheriff on January 29th this year. The anonymous female caller said that they believe Jesse was living with three underage children, which he was. The woman asked that the complaint be documented and looked into. So they... In terms of looking into this, they ran Jesse's information through the state sex offender registry and that in that it confirmed that Holly was his fiance and that the children were hers. So essentially, according to them, that was fine. Yeah, I looked it up and I guess they're allowed to live with their kids or stepkids as long as like everyone's okay with it. But then I was wondering because I feel like legally the kids, since they had different dads, some of them, like the dads would also have to know and agree to that and like have that be in like a court paper somewhere. Um, so basically Sheriff Rice did confirm that they looked into it in that way and nothing further was done about the call. Um, it has also kind of emerged in another little twist that the Sheriff's secretary was the one to witness the marriage between Jesse and Holly. The following is from a tweet from the Webster family attorney named Cameron Spradling. He said, Sheriff's secretary. Sheriff's secretary has McFadden on sex offender list. A year later, she witnesses the wedding. Her deputy son does one site visit. Another year later, bodies are found. Sheriff's office closes the investigation without seizing the electronic devices. Why? So I'm guessing that is insinuating that basically there is a cover-up for whatever reason. Maybe there's other people involved in criminal activities that they're trying to kind of cover up. That's what I took from that. No one wants to talk when it comes to this case. No one uh, but I thought maybe since it's a chaplain, uh, he, he would, he would uh, you know, open up to us, share something, let us know why he performed the, the wedding ceremony, what he knew about Jesse McFadden and Holly. Uh, take a look. We went to his house. He actually lives about an hour from here uh, in Tulsa um, and uh, went to the door. Uh, they were watering the lawn there. There was clearly someone home. 
uh, knocked on the door trying to talk to Chaplain uh, Kenneth Farnham, uh, but but no one came to the door, Ashley. Um, and I also did get a text from him that just said, no comment, period. Uh, and that was it. Well, so apparently gosh. we are not going to be hearing from the chaplain. Well, maybe not this way, but he better answer someone as to why he legally uh, married a sex offender to a woman with three teenagers and didn't sort of red flag that uh, and, and let it happen at the prison chapel. And then there's that witness, the sheriff's administrative assistant, who also is in charge of registering sex offenders. That's what she's supposed to be doing for a living. That's what her LinkedIn says. So her son is a sheriff's deputy. He made the only on-site compliance check for Jesse McFadden. What did the sheriff's department say about all this when you went to knocking? Well, first of all, we've been trying to talk to the sheriff's department for quite some time. We've called and called and called and called. This was sort of a last result. So we basically sat out uh, in the waiting room and waited uh, a, a man came out and, and wasn't happy that the camera was there, said that they weren't going to be commenting. I had given them my business card, uh, and he essentially uh, just gave the business card back to me. I feel like a lot of people are thinking that there's like some sex ring being covered up. But I feel like, honestly, they're probably they know that they fucked up in the first place by letting him out of jail so early and being really lackadaisical about everything. And now they're trying to just make it go away so they don't get in trouble. One thing I like I could see happening in a town like this, and it reminds me a little bit of the Tom Brown case where there was, you know, a lot of rumors about police cover up Tom Brown from Texas. Mm -hmm. The one thing I could see maybe them trying to cover up is drugs. Um, Mm, You know, I have no doubt they kind of turn a blind eye to drugs, maybe. So maybe it's something along those lines. That would be my thinking. Yeah. Um, so we have also learned recently that Jesse actually had 10 violations while in prison between 2004 and 2016, and these included sexual acts and intoxication. So he was allowed, somehow got, obviously he probably wasn't allowed, but he somehow managed to get either drugs or alcohol into jail. So this is all part of his good behavior. Yeah. This guy who was let out for good behavior. Yeah. Must've been very hygienic. Like what? So Jesse's rape victim, Crystal Strong, has spoken to the media about how she tried to stop his early release. She said, I called the jail. I believe I left a voicemail, tried to get transferred, and I kept getting the runaround. I told them, look, I've called you guys over the years several times to get updates, and I've seen that you guys are going to let him out even though you found contraband child porn on his phone. If this doesn't show that somebody isn't rehabilitated, then I don't know what else would. She said, I begged the DA a long time ago not to ever let him out of prison because I knew he would do this to someone else. So Brittany and Ivy's family have been kind of very vocal in this case. Brittany's father, Nathan, spoke to KOTV. He said Brittany was an outgoing person. She was actually selected to be Miss Henrietta in an upcoming pageant in Tulsa, and now she ain't going to make it because she's dead. She's gone. And Ivy's dad spoke to News Nation. He said there's no reason why a monster should have been let out. If I could tell Ivy's story and get our government officials and everyone started speaking out loud about keeping these pedophiles in jail, the sexual registry does not work. It does not work at all. So it's now been probably nearly four weeks since these murders. There are some kind of drip-fed articles. You know, there's little bits that come out here and there. Just as kind of an add-on to after we recorded, there has been an article as of June 7. And basically, they confirmed that there was some sexual assault in these murders. The article from the Oklahoman does confirm that Jesse shot himself in the mouth when he died. And it says that Ivy and Brittany had blunt force injuries to their genital areas. Um, It makes me feel fucking sick. We haven't seen the autopsies yet, so I don't really know much more. I don't know if we really want to know much more about that. 
Um, it says that Holly, who was his wife, had gunshot head wounds as well as arm and leg abrasions and abrasions were also found on the children. So I wonder if that was part of the shackles maybe, like an abrasion to mm. me kind of is like a, I don't know, I guess it could be a lot of things, but the shackles may explain why that happened. Yeah, so I mean I guess we could have assumed that the girls were sexually assaulted unfortunately, but even just hearing it as fact makes me feel fucking sick to my stomach. Yeah. I can't imagine what those poor girls went through and I do hope something changes, whether it's laws on sex offenders or following up on sex offenders, because it just seemed way too easy for him to have access to these girls. So horrible. Yeah, not an unexpected update, I guess, but just a horrific one. I can't even imagine being those parents and knowing, you know, just having to wonder and think about what they went through. There's a lot of questions in this case, you know, is something being covered up for whatever reason? If so, why is it being covered up? Is it because it involves the other local law enforcement or are they really kind of just inept and they don't know what they're doing? Um, There's also questions about how much Holly knew about Jesse's background, how much the families knew about the background where they kind of allowed their children to go. I feel like Holly, even though they say she didn't know, she definitely did. Yeah, like I don't know, maybe she really didn't believe that he had raped this girl and, you know, maybe she didn't believe the charges, but she lived in that house. She had to have known. And even if all that stuff wasn't always out all the time, like if it was only out because he went on this like suicide bender living out his fucked up fantasies and that's why I was all out now, it's not a big house and it's full of shit. There's only so many places he could keep these things. And like the restraints that were on the bed, behind the bed, behind on the wall, like those were old and there's like dust on the screws there. So like those ones weren't new, like the counter one could have been. And all these computers, like it just, it wasn't that big of a house where she could have just turned a blind eye to this totally. Um, I did see this comment on Reddit um, from someone who made some good points Again, this is just a comment. They said that they got this information from someone on YouTube who talked to one of um, Jesse McFadden's former jail mates. So again, I'm not saying this is 100% factual information, but this is what it says. It, it goes says, along the lines of what we've heard. So I wouldn't doubt that most of it is probably factual or based on, you know, generally yeah. what happened. So it says Holly's mother didn't know how Holly met McFadden, but apparently she met him before he was released from prison. Jesse knew that she had two teenage daughters. I read in a different comment, one of her friends was writing letters to an inmate and like asked her friend to essentially set her up with an inmate as well. And apparently the inmate that she was set up with to write letters with and communicate with was Jesse. And that's allegedly how they met. So if that's true, she had met him while he was already in prison for these charges. Another thing is Holly had to buy the gun for Jesse that he used because he wasn't able to purchase one since he is a convicted felon. So she knew something was going on there. She would have absolutely known that. Like there's no denying that she at least knew that and that he shouldn't have had a gun and she still bought it for him anyway. Yeah. Um, A former cellmate of McFadden's knew Holly had a text message from her confirming she was living with Jesse. I don't know what that means. Just confirming. I think that basically... That as soon as he got out of prison, he moved in with Holly. So it kind of insinuates, I think, that she definitely did know him while he was in prison and they moved in very quickly after he got out with yeah. the kids. Yeah. He was released October 2020, moved in with Holly shortly after Christmas of the same year. 
Holly's mother has been actively involved in her grandchildren's lives to the point of taking them in for a time when Holly wasn't capable of taking care of them. Holly lied to her parents about when she learned Jesse was a convicted rapist. All three of Holly's children have different fathers. The two oldest appear to have no contact with their biological fathers. The father of the youngest, Tiffany, lived with Holly for over a decade and had met Holly before she delivered her second daughter. He had regular contact with his daughter, Tiffany, and her siblings. He lived a few hours away and he was devastated to find out that his daughter was living with um, a convicted rapist it is such an unbelievable story just the facts alone let alone what we're learning just tonight on this program i am joined now by joe guess he is the father of the youngest victim 13 year old tiffany guess he has his friend sunny summers with him for moral support joe I am just so sorry for you and what your family is, is dealing with and going through. Have you heard any more information or details from authorities about this crime? No, I've got one phone call, and that phone call was yesterday saying they found seven bodies, and that's the only thing I've heard. Who was it that made that phone call? It was uh, some investigator down there doing the, at the property, but that's all I know. And an investigator was able to inform you of the fate of your daughter? They said just seven victims. They didn't tell me who it was. How did you find out? Facebook. The news on the online. And uh, Holly's <laughs> mother uh, finally said or posted that uh, it was uh, the kids when they, they said on there confirmed. So you've had no outreach, no contact from authorities in any way, um, even just for emotional support in, in this terrible crime? No, not at all. I am so sorry to hear that, Joe. Did you know anything about this perpetrator, this stepfather of Tiffany's, Jesse McFadden? Did you know anything about his history as a registered sex offender and as a rapist? No, because my daughter would not have spent a second in the house. I would have brought the whole damn police force with me or I would have drug him out by the nap of his head. Holly never mentioned anything at all to you about this. No, the only thing we ever talked about was at the beginning of their relationship, we had an understanding that no one would be around the kids unless we both agreed upon it and we did a background check and we were okay with it. I asked if there was a background check. She said, yes, nothing was there. <laughs> So you were you were lied to about the background, because as we're learning now from the children's grandmother, Jan Mayo, uh, Holly did find out about the criminal background. But unfortunately, this she was like, beast, to Jesse, Mc, yeah, Jesse McFadden hired an actress to lie to her to say that she was the rape victim and that it was all a misunderstanding. Do you think that's why Holly didn't tell you? I don't know. I know that. In the, from the bottom of my heart, I know that if any one of them would have told me anything, I would have been there. Period. I'd have been there. I don't care. Ex-wife, not. I'd have been there. And that kind of, if that, if that is true, it does answer a lot of the questions about why the other two teenagers were allowed to live in the house. Their fathers didn't care, didn't have any contact with them. So that kind of explains how that slid under the radar in that way. Yeah. 
I definitely think she knew, no matter what and they I, like, say I don't want now. anyone to say, you guys are victim blaming because obviously no one deserves this. But I feel like she absolutely knew his history. She knew, you know, I feel like she did put her kids in a situation where they were living with a known sex offender. And even if she didn't believe it, he was still a registered sex offender. Yeah. So I feel like you do have to take accountability at some point, especially as a mother for the situation. You know, obviously he was he was he was the worst. No one's denying that, but there is still questions about the accountability in the situation. Yeah, it's hard because everyone will be like, "You're victim blaming. That's shitty." I'm not. She, like you said, no one deserves this. She, we don't know anything about her life. She could have had a horrible upbringing. Could have, you know, cycle of abuse type things. But it just seems like she maybe didn't have great judgment. And even when you think about, like, Jesse wasn't the father of any of these children. She really had no reason to have to be with Jesse. It seems like she somehow sought him out while he was in prison, kept the relationship going when he got out, despite these convictions and this background. You know, if it is true, the things like he hired the actress, you know, it's the whole situation is so messed up. But essentially, yeah, it was some bad judgment that has been made. I don't think anyone can argue with that. Yeah. And honestly, instead of blaming, Holly, you could kind of blame like the police and the jail yeah. being like, this guy shouldn't have even been out here to begin with. Sex offenders and people who commit sex crimes and things like that, they're highly manipulative and she could have been easily manipulated and he shouldn't have even been out here roaming around with all these children to begin with. And it just kind of goes along the theme of other people had to have had an idea of what was going on in this house and turned a blind eye into it or just been like, eh, I don't want to know. It's better off if I don't know. Even like other family members and things like that. There's a lot of people, including the police and the county and the jail and everyone, where it seems like everybody did the bare fucking minimum here. And now these kids and Holly are the ones who had to pay the price for it. There's an interesting article I found too that interviews a former cellmate of Jesse's. They were cellmates apparently for 16 months. And this kind of goes along the lines of maybe how he managed to get Holly to move in with him or what, you know, obviously we don't know the dynamics of their relationship, but the cellmate said he was a very good manipulator. He was always trying to manipulate me in very weird ways. And he spoke about basically how he would try and make any female staff feel uncomfortable. He said he brushed Mm -hmm. up against her. I think he was just seeing how far he could take things sexually with people. Um, So he's just a fucking gross perv. Yeah. And people who are highly manipulative know what people to manipulate. So I'm sure he saw Holly who was susceptible to manipulation or maybe was in a difficult situation and he knew how to turn that to his advantage. This is kind of interesting too. Now I'm just reading this article that's just come out. Basically the cellmate who was in jail for burglary and there was nothing violent or apparently sexual on his records. This guy had also dated Holly in the past. So I don't know. It seems like such a small small town. town. Um, He goes, when he realized he used to date Holly, he reached out to her. He said, in my mind, I wanted to warn her, but at the time I didn't want him to read the messages and retaliate on her. Here we are three or four months later, Holly's dead. The kids are dead. Two other kids are dead and nothing's ever going to bring them back. So that's like what I was saying. I feel like people knew people saw the red flags and did nothing or did the bare minimum like even there was that one woman who called the police to be like hey like there's a sex offender he's living with Meyer children sure he's technically allowed to but clearly something happened to like set her off to be like i I should call the police about this yeah and especially after they've been living together for you know let's say 18 months at that stage i wonder you know seems like other people were aware that 
there was inappropriate things going on. Yeah. And I do think Holly's daughters are probably also sexually abused. Like the amount of res- – there, there was also – not enough beds in that house for the people that were living in it. Like there was the one bed on the floor, which could have been like, oh, we're having a sleepover in the living room. But then even so, there was definitely not enough beds in the house. And the beds that were there all had like restraints. Yep. It's just, and that, it's fucked like, up. It's horrible, you know, to say, but if if there was sexual abuse, that would make sense in a way to me because that would explain that the girls were maybe being blackmailed. You know, if you don't come or back, or they thought I'm it was normal. Parents, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's such well, the a girls that live situation. there, anyways. I'll have to look into this more, but this is one of those cases where it's an annoying because there's not a lot of facts and solid information out. Like there's a lot of people talking about it, but it seems like there's a possibility that um, the girls. Like Holly and like his family, like her kids, might have died sooner than the rest of them because they were last heard from on the twenty eighth. The twenty eighth. I don't. And it did. I don't like, know. I, like I don't know because it did say we were talking about it before we recorded that one of the girls, the two other teenage girls, were seen in, in a bathing suit on the first of May. So I don't know, but they, I don't know. Like I, I feel like maybe well, I saw someone say that he was seen out with the two girls only on that maybe that day that night because then the then the parents are now saying that they think the girls were dead on the sunday so it's all a bit murky in terms of who was actually seen and where but yeah from the sounds of it holly definitely wasn't heard from after the 28th yeah so it's like were they killed first like did the girls just like walk into like an immediate trap basically um I don't know. These are all things that like I have questions about and I want to know more about. So I'm sorry that I'm just being like, oh, I heard this and I heard this. But that's that's what it is right now. And, it's and it seems like what it is, is no one has actually cared enough, like in terms of law enforcement, have cared enough to actually investigate the why. Like, why did this happen? Why did if he didn't want to go to jail, why didn't he just kill himself? And that leads me to believe there was other abuse that he didn't want uncovered. But then if he's dead, I don't know. I don't know. I guess he, he obviously clearly wasn't irrational or well or you know normal person so well because you want control like people like him and people who are sex offenders and things like abusive they it's all about control for them so he probably gets off on the control yeah and i have no doubt in my mind that he was like i'm gonna kill myself i'm gonna fill live out all my fantasies because i'm gonna go to fucking jail anyways and i don't want to go back to jail so this was what he did um but yeah this is one of those ones where i hope People keep talking about it, so maybe there's some change or the families can get more answers because right now the Oklahoma cops over there, they're just hoping everyone forgets about this and we can all move on. But I hope that people keep looking into it and keep talking about it. Like I know Brian was over there, Brian Enton, our fave, he was over there investigating, knocking on doors. So I hope the, the real reporters stay out there doing things like that. And this is kind of the second case that's happened in that area this year. We were actually going to do an the episode. second mass murder. Yeah. So I think it was three guys who went missing in the same area who were riding their bikes. And then they were like, and again, the police didn't seem to do anything. They just thought that they had kind and that of was left. And I was just like, Neh. Yeah. And they were all found dead as well. So maybe we'll have to revisit that one. Yeah, definitely. But I guess that that's it for this episode. I feel like there's... We talked about everything that there is to talk about, but we really just have a lot of questions and let's all get out there and keep talking about this one. This would be a good one to hopefully one day be able to do a proper update episode four if we do ever learn out more more about the motive, you know, more other victims, which I hope hope there aren't any more, but it sounds like there probably are. Yeah. And I just feel horrible for the families. Like as much as you don't want to know what happened, like you do. 
not knowing what happened. All you know is that they went to a sleepover, basically. This guy was a horrible person. All these weird things in the house. And now your kids are dead. Like, even though he's dead, he took his own life. And so you feel like there's no justice. There's no accountability. There's no closure. So I hope they can at least have something come of this. Yeah, I agree. So that is really it for the story in this episode. Um, we will post any updates that we hear on our Instagram, like we always do with all the cases. So make sure to follow us at True Crime Society on Instagram. We'll have a blog on this case if you want to do more reading about it at truecrimesocietyblog.com. If you're listening to us on Spotify, make sure you're following us on the page. Like click the follow button. You can respond to our little questions and stuff. It's a fun place to, to chat, see what you guys are saying. Whatever platform you listen on, give us a good review, share the podcast, all those things. If you can, it's a big help. If you want to follow our personal Instagram accounts, mine is stuffsum underscore. Olivia's is TCS Olivia. Thank you guys for listening. Stay <laughs> safe out there. Peace out. See ya.